Why, hello there. Welcome to episode number 309 of the Apolog Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. You like the gentle transition downward on that? Hello, my name is Boom. Sorry about the um, delay in releases, everybody. I had some major, major website issues. It's a long story, but what happened was my service provider changed hardware and I lost a lot of the website and I had to go find it and put it all back. I have one of three running. Well, I have two of three running now, but there's still one down. That's my day off today is trying to make that work. So anyways, on to the show. This episode is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all times. Click the link in the description for more information. Amazon, you can go kick rocks. Hate Amazon. Well, I like buying stuff, but I just don't like advertising because they always somehow figure out a way to rip you off. I digress. Patreon. If you want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash pod. Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. Go buy some merchandise at appalog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and view the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like and share on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Carl Hensel from the band Desperate Axe. Desperate Axe is a band that's based out of Minneapolis. They are, I believe, a three-piece, and there's a, there's a member of Comeback Kid in this band. But anyways, that doesn't matter because I spoke to Carl. So they've got a new record out on Spam Records uh, called State Street Secrets, State Secrets, and it's coming out on September 10th this year, 2021. If you're listening to this in the year 4021, the record's pretty old. It's probably sold a lot of records at this point. This band is amazing. It reminds me of of a lot of um, throwbacks to the great um, style of music that I listened to in the late 90s, early 2000s. Bands like Sam I Am, um, oh man, uh, Braid, uh gosh who all these other bands such a great um they were supposed to actually work with jay mass uh, and because of that the big plague they couldn't do it so they ended up recording it closer to home which ended up being a better record in their opinion everybody thank you so much for listening to the show i'm sorry for being so lackadaisical with the website the website let me down but it's coming back stronger than ever that's a Star Wars reference, by the way. And if you want to um, keep listening, don't forget to subscribe. Like I said, rate and review the show. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Carl Hensel, uh, the drumist of the band Desperate Act on the Apolog Podcast. I don't think we've ever met. No, I think uh, I've always kind of like lurked in the background. I mean, I kind of looked you up before the podcast and, and checked it out, but it seems like your your end of tour world kind of lapsed over with my touring and end of touring world, and those things happen. Yeah, you know? 
Um, where it's one of those awkward moments where it feels like you're Larry David and you're introduced, you're like, we're like one degree away from a lot of people, you know, yeah. but like you and I don't know each other directly. So it's always kind of awkward. No, that, but, that's true. We, well, we probably know a lot of the same people. For instance, in the nineties, we used to travel through there and stay at the THC house with Chad from uh, Threadbare. Uh, we're in Minneapolis. Jason, Jason, Jason yeah. there. I'm actually going to see him this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him Simon from Red Fisher says, hey. He'll be I like, well, yeah, no, we had, but Winnipeg, I mean, Winnipeg and Minneapolis always had a, thing, you know, it's like for me, I mean, it was also just in the, in that era of the mid nineties, you know, that was when I was, I was like a 14 year old kid biking from my parents' house, going to these basement shows and yeah. like telling my, I've, I've kind of admitted it recently, but like telling my parents like, oh yeah, I'm going to sleep over at my buddy's house. I was actually like my, my friend's parents got a divorce and the dad was living in an apartment. <laughs> and like, I just go, to, I'd go there and sometimes my friend wouldn't even come with me. Sometimes I'd just be like, Hey, I'm going to sleep over. Like I'm going to this show. Here's the band. And he was more into like, you know, Nirvana and metal and stuff like that. And I kind of evolved my way into the punk world and discovering like, there's these great bands yeah. that are playing basements. Like it just blew my mind and I could bike there because they were so close to my parents' house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and stumbling around those shows, but like Winnipeg was just, you know, there was, I can count innumerable shows where there were Winnipeg people coming down, doing that seven hour drive across the border, coming to go see everybody, you know? And yeah. then, I mean, I spy always seemed like they were always playing here. I mean, I spy to me was like such a legendary band. Yeah. And then you, you look at it from the grand scheme of the world. Like there's not that many people that know them and people know, you know, yeah, there are people who know them obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through the propaganda. But, right. But right. Yeah. Right. Just through, through, through Todd joining propaganda and then just doing some of the other stuff. But it was also, there's just some of those things where, you know, all that stuff was just, you know, yeah. surrounded by it. And oh, yeah. Like, oh, these bands are huge. And it's like, no, like, bands like swallowing shit. They nah, don't, yeah, people don't know where they are outside yeah. of these bubbles. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Because there was a prairie. Definitely there was a prairie, some sort of uh, connection to Minneapolis. And I think that would have been one of the first places we'd play if we were heading that way. Maybe, perhaps. Yeah, it's like, where else are you going to play Fargo? Or uh, yeah, play there? we did play Fargo once, um, which was very funny because we just found a club and said, can we play here? And the guy's like, sure, why not? And then we ended up just turning, finding out like how to turn on the PA system and just did a show. And nobody knew who the fuck or cared who we were, but we were just this right. band that showed up. Like our band was like fueled on BMX tracks. Like if there's a BMX track somewhere, there would be a punk rock show close by. Uh, and yeah. that's how we booked our tours is that there would be a, a BMX track or a club or a group of dudes who would be able to put on a show for us but um it's funny you say uh, i spy because um todd um first time i met i moved to winnipeg to join a band and um i saw the first show i saw was propaganda and i spy and i saw um them do appliances and cars and it was sort of like yeah. a new song and that line was like i'll be dead and fucking gone i was like oh my god like there was something i'd never witnessed before such passion of this. I mean they were to me like I still listen to that stuff all the time yeah like, it's still like them and then there's another band from Minneapolis called Man Afraid who did play some shows with them and they played Winnipeg a couple times they played that Winnipeg Fest yeah and to me those bands are just like still like everything about punk and hardcore that kind of like yeah enveloped me you know it's like I mean getting into you know I mean I'm younger so it's like getting into stuff like bad religion and and you know as like the green day explosion happened like thing you know i'm still trying to make this this you know make heads and tails of like what what's what makes green day and offspring different from you know even like bad religion or rancid or no yeah. and some of that other stuff and then discovering this kind of like 
local bubble that was happening in Minneapolis at the time, which is still to this day, something that I just, I feel so fortunate to have witnessed. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you had, I mean, we had Dillinger four coming up, but then you have shows where it's like telling people, you know, Dillinger four disembodied in the promise ring played the same show. <laughs> and like, that was just normal. And then we have bands, like there was a band from here called the strike, which is just dead on one of the greatest bands, like their first record. I mean, they, they put a record out on victory and I think 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. But their first record, um, uh, Conscience, Conscience Left to Struggle with Pockets Full of Rust is what it was called. It's on his label from Chicago. And it's like per- dead perfect, like clash, jam, sort of mod influence, punk, like pro-union, super leftist lyrics. And, and like just thinking about being able to see bands like that in the basements of these houses that these people lived at. And then I'm just like this 14-year-old skate rat kid wandering my way into these shows and people were so accepting. I mean, I remember the first time I met Patty was at one of those shows from D4. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And clearly, I mean, I stood out. I mean, looking back on it, it's like these guys are in their mid to early, early to mid twenties. And there's like this, I was a child (laughs) just wandering into their house while they're having a house party essentially. And it's just like, well, you you made a flyer. Like, what did you expect? This was always the risk. And uh, it just, it's, it's still to this day, one of those things where it's just, man, I feel so lucky to have had that and that pre-internet isolation. Yeah, just that you know those moments like Man Afraid and I Spy to me are still like I listen to it just like the melodies and, and there's a lot of like technicality to it, but it was still kind of sloppy and they were all still kind of figuring it out, but in a good way. Yeah, and like the moments when they really kind of like go for it on on some of the more melodic hardcore stuff, it's like man, there's nothing that sounds like that stuff. There's no. still to this day like even like as Todd joined Propagandi, like Propagandi became more tech, more technical and more evolved and and still I think you know one of the most impressive and incredible modern punk bands to this day mm-hmm. but the uh that i spy influence it's like maybe that's what it would have been but those records still have such a rawness to it you know yeah i remember yeah well the first time i moved to winnipeg was like 1992 and uh going to the propaganda house and meeting chris and todd actually was in, lived there and you know at their punk house and we started our own little punk house on the other side of town and uh, we did shows in the basements and we had some bands come up from from god knows where because we were part of the um, um, the Maximum Rock and Roll Book Your Own Fucking Life book. Like we were yeah. in that catalog, catalog and that's how we booked tours. And and I think, I forget what it was in Minneapolis, but I think THC weren't putting on shows, but they had a studio in the basement at the time. But we did like 7th Street Entry a few times, maybe once. Uh, and I don't remember the other places. We we, we played in Minneapolis. But, um, there, was, there was so many places. I and mean, there was the bomb shelter, which was the essentially the, the basement of a gun shop. Um that's familiar. And that was that was a pretty legendary spot too. I mean, there was a lot of you know. I mean, the the who's who have played there was the same thing. I mean, Cape Breed and Code Thirteen played there together. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was it was sad because it closed it closed down. I'm going to date myself, but it closed down before I had a driver's license. So the only way that I and it was that was in 1997. Yeah. So like the only way that you could get down there was with friends who had cars or like because it was that part of Minneapolis at the time. Like you couldn't coax. We could usually coax a parent or two to give us a ride to, you know, 7th Street Entry, 1st Avenue, downtown places like that. Or some of the, you know, the University of Minnesota had a lot of good shows. But nobody was going to the corner. No parents were taking their kids to the corner of Bloomington and Lake in the mid-90s. <laughs> um, now it's like a totally different neighborhood. And, like yeah. the, you know, the various the various communities that have immigrated to America have, like, totally changed that. Like, they've really made it a vibrant area. It's a really awesome it's always been a really cool part of town, yeah. but it's really revitalized now. So it's, uh, you know, now it's not that dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. At least from my perception. 
Yeah. Well, I guess the world the world has has changed a lot, you know, over the past 30 years to um I, you know, the, the entrance of internet to music is always this crazy conversation I've had where it's like if we didn't have um the internet, would we still have this knowledge of music will we be able to meet as people like with like how does all this fit together now right. and t- can you keep elements of what it was very cool about it which was like the community you know and you know i i was thinking about this the other day is like there was always a scene in every city you go to every city right. and you meet the people in the scene but if you were there it'd be really tough to be a part of that scene somehow but as outsiders you came in and you were ultimately just brought in because you're not from the city you know there was this inclusion right. and exclusion at the same time and um, I, I always felt it, but it does. Has that? Is there still like an actual live club scene? You know, and I'm I'm pushing. I'm 51. You know, so right. I don't have people sleeping on my basement floor. Although I've offered it up, I've had people do right. it, but it's not every day anymore. You know, <laughs> it's not a thing. Right. It's also. I mean, I think that's. And we talk about that all the time. I mean, you know, for us, like we've all we've all played in various bands through life, and some of us more recently than others. But there's a certain aspect of it where it's just embracing the fact of just you know. We're not a band that's going to be meant to play all ages shows anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're we're all like two of the guys are over 40. I'm about to turn 40. Matt's in his late 30s. And it's just one of those things where like that ha- you have to accept the fact that there is a youth culture. Like I know there's DIY shows in Minneapolis. I know there's garage shows. I know that there's bands that I see kind of popping up and kind of doing their own thing and 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 living in this community. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like that was us. 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like that was, it's okay that it's not that you kind of, I guess not always like graduate, but just like as life kind of progresses, it's like, that is youth culture, you know, like what, what they're doing it, they're just doing it differently. And it's really important, I think, to kind of keep that in mind because like, it is very easy to be like, well, back in our day, you know what I mean? I do feel that. And I feel that more and more. Um, But I think it's just important to understand like things change and, it's sort of uh, I don't, like I think the one one of the big things is like I think there is that those that community and I actually think with the internet now there's so much of everything available to people about of, of everything you know mm-hmm. what I mean whether mm-hmm. it's entertainment whether it's music I mean you literally have the entire world's music catalog at your fingertips and I think like getting attention with that especially as we kind of resurface in life and put out a record as the world's still kind of dealing with the lingering effects of the pandemic. Mm. It's not as easy just to go like, Oh, let's do a weekend of shows. Like it's, there's a little more to it. And I still think one of the biggest lessons is like the way you find those worlds is you play shows and you travel and you find those communities and you know, that's sort of what it is. And I think that I don't think the internet will ever replace that. I think if anything, it makes it easier to create that and it might make it harder in some ways too. Mm -hmm. Mm Because just, you know, back in 1995 and 96, when I was kind of stumbling my way into these basement shows, like what qualified me to be at those shows was that I was there. You know what I mean? There was no, there was no gatekeeper to it beyond the fact of once I found out this sort of, you know, the, the voicemail message box that extreme noise had to find out about shows and, the flyers that you could get at these various record stores. Like I knew which three record stores outside of extreme noise would have flyers for things that I found interesting. Um, and that was essentially it. Like if you found that, you found that golden ticket, you could figure out your way into this world. And, uh, you know, and then there's always the story of the thanks list on records. It's like, well, that's sort of like your, your Spotify version of artist recommended, 
you know, yeah. you click to an artist you like and you see the artist recommended kind of followings. Like, yeah. Those, those used to be thank you lists. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so Ironic- it's, just, it's just evolved. Ir- ironically enough, Spotify doesn't have actual credits for the group that, you know what I mean? Like, or do they, if they do, I, I can't find it. I think it's in there, but you got to click a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like I think, I think it's in there. Yeah. Actually, I could actually check this out. I think it exists, but I think you actually have to go through and input the data to actually have it be in there. Right. So if um, you're like looking at an old record from, you know, that's been put in there from the label, um, chances of all that information, like who recorded it, what dates, right bands they liked all that sort of affirmation of it's really hard to find i don't even think apple music has i'm pretty sure apple music doesn't have it i'm no i mean unless they- yeah you gotta click you gotta click if you go into a song you have to click the show credits on each individual track is that on the phone because i don't I, it's all i do is i'm on I'm, I'm on a computer yeah so. maybe that's the that's the that's the key you gotta be on a computer yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no record stores with the uh, four fans of stickers saying produced by so and so anymore. And yeah. I think like, you know, who's to say that that stuff was even effective? Um, I still think it is. When you mentioned Jay Mass in your bio, I'm like ears perked up. Like, holy shit, that's that's a dude. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah, though I you think, know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I think like that stuff still matters. I think it's also one of those things. Like, if you don't know, you just kind of blow past it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Do you think yeah, it's important it's, anymore? Like, do you think it's important to have like a a known producer or a known um, label to work behind you? Is it? I mean, obvi- I truly think it is. I still think it's important. I think it is. Like, if Brett Gerwitz want totally to record important. my record, I'm like, fuck yeah, that's great. I'll definitely use that. But do no, you, totally. Do you think the kids care? Is the question? Um, I think so. I think like I think labels in general. I still think there's like an an editorial kind of aspect to it where, mm. you know, I think. Um, like I mentioned this on another interview that we had done about how like Stefan and Spam, how they're doing, they're one of the few labels just in the world, you know, and ourselves are, we're included in that where they're taking, I want to say risks on like smaller bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so many bands would be like, we were just planning on doing the record ourselves. Cause it's sort of like in that Midwestern sort of self-deprecation, like, who's going to give a shit about us? Like, mm. yeah, we think we made a cool record. Like we're stoked on it. Like we made a record for ourselves. And that was always the mission. But yeah. then you get done, we got done with the record. And as we're, as Jay was kind of mixing, it's like, damn, like this is kind of excited about this. Like we feel pretty excited about it, but you have to keep in mind, like we still plan to do this ourselves if nobody else steps up and and they were gracious enough to to put their hand up. But I also fully understand, like I sent it to some other labels, just kind of on a on a, you know, for shits and giggles, basically. And it's sort of like, hey, you know, if you want to check this out, cool. If not, I kind of get it. Yeah. So, um, but I think it does matter. I think that there's a certain level of just sort of, you know, I think, I still think like, you know, bands associated with labels, especially labels that have a defined scene or just a, a, you know, a presence or personality. um, I still think it matters because I think it puts a stamp of like seriousness or, quality i guess um mm-hmm. you know and i think that there's you can clearly make a the world is easier now to get your music out there um you can exist and you can be a band and you can have stuff out there and there's far less restrictions on recording you know like i mean first couple of recordings i did were still to tape and like mm-hmm. you'd have to spend a couple hundred bucks on tape and do that as a part of the session and you had to have a room where you had the ability to mic the drums and have it sound somewhat you know, reasonable. Um, 
and that's just not there anymore. You know, I mean, we recorded this with, uh, we originally were going to record it with Jay in Boston. And then we ended up recording it in St. Paul with Brian Herb, who's a really, really good live audio engineer and has toured with some pretty crazy artists. But at the same point in time, like he's still a part of that AMREP kind of noise punk world and knows all of our reference points. So like, yeah, he's worked for like Bush and Gavin Rossdale and Jerry yeah. Cantrell like calls and interrupts our recording session. But then he's also like very clear and be like, all right, descendants, bad religion. Yeah. He knows, he knows what he's aiming yeah um, yeah we're running the like, world now you know all those punkers that listen to bad religion early in descendants we're like running the world like we're the ones I that pay, we pay I the know. most income tax you know like know. <laughs> you know i'll see a guy like because i work at a theater uh, in, in like a city-run municipal-run theater and i see people and i give them the nod and the wink and they look at me and they go yeah, i know you i know you and then we're like all of a sudden we're like hey because canada's a much smaller scene than america and i run right. into it, somebody i go I know you. And he goes, I know you. And now it seems like we're running the industry in a way when it comes to certain things. And it's like, oh, that's exciting. Cause we were just fuckheads well, also, back in the day, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's also an important lesson to like really be mindful and polite. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You totally. know, like not if you're an asshole, know when you're being an asshole because it might come a time in life where you need to apologize for that. And not even in a self-serving way, but oh, just yeah. like, eh. remember I, I was kind of a dick back yeah. then. Um, I've been, and I know I've had those moments. Yeah, I've <laughs> like tried my best. Moments. I've tried my best. I, I toured a lot of bands and spent a lot of close quarters with people. And one thing you learned about is to 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 choose your battles. You know, because if you're gonna right. if you're gonna have an argument with somebody that you're like literally one seat away from, you better make sure it's finished. You know, and over and with. Worth it. And worth it. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> like, worth it. I mean, I I mean, I, even even for us, I mean, like. I just think of some of the, the small world stuff now. I mean, the longer you stick around, the fewer and fewer people there are kind of mingling in the fishbowl that we're in. Yeah. And like, you know, one of the guys who runs one of he's he's the president of one of the biggest CD and uh, DVD replication places, one of the biggest vinyl brokers in the country. It's like he was just in some metal bands, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and he's friends with two of the guys in our band. I've known him. I, I only know him really through the music world just mm -hmm. kind of being around that stuff. But like, I know people that have known him since high school. Yeah. And it's just funny to think about how those kind of things will come back later, you know? And yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's mine. Keep be polite and, and oh yeah, realize at the end of the day, like whatever you think the biggest problem is in the world, it's not, no, you know, no, it's just keep that in check. Totally. I'm, I'm doing a nights and weekends project on a, on a band based in Toronto called Lois of the low. And, um, I'm just trying to get people, I'm trying to get stock footage from our music channel and stuff, Canadian music channel. And I ended up meeting the guy who owns like the Hollywood cinema like channel, like on cable. Like he yeah. owns this thing that has all these movies on it. And he was the guy I connected. He goes, I used to love that band. Oh my God, what great music. Anything you need. You know what I'm like? Holy shit. Now I have this guy who is like the CEO of this major. Yeah. <laughs> video channel you know on cable and it's like wow that's amazing because and that's just from a band that was around in the 90s you know what i mean like it, it's it does it really teaches you a lot about like hey you know let's just you know just do good work and don't be a dick and that's that's all the advice i've ever given to people over all these years of doing this it's like yeah just don't be a dick because you don't be a pushover either like just be good at what you do and don't be a dick yeah and i mean like you know We've all had our moments. I mean, I know I have, but like, you know, I think about 
things where I think I'm being confident and I look back on it later and it's like, oh, yeah, I've done that differently. One thing is, um, if you're managing your own band, it's really tough to um, get what you want and get what you need. I, mean, I've, yeah, I, learned, I, think, I found that out yeah, hard way, you know. Yeah, and I think like for me, you know, with my, my day job, I'm still very closely connected to bands of various sizes. So there's the same point of, you know, where that line of friend to work to private life kind of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just nobody wants to be that that kind of like, I, I call it the day job punisher, where it's like, I don't want to be taught, like if I'm if I'm on my work hours, like it's really kind of funny, but it's like, I don't deal with anything related to this band from like eight in the morning until, you know, five at night. Right. Um, I really do try to keep it separate. Now, if there's something where it's like something comes up during the day and it's a really quick message I can send to somebody, I'll do it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's uh, it is really I'm really mindful of not crossing those lines. But then at the same point, I think having been in bands and various bands of different pursuits and experiences, I think like that's the one thing about this band that feels so good is that all four of us are on the same page and there's no one. You know, somebody can't do a show or can't do something. There's no battle about it because it's just like, well, we'll do something else. Yeah. You know, and I think there's no one, no one trying to like, everybody's very mindful of the fact that like, we've all kind of gone through that gauntlet of, of trying to really be that hungry 220 shows a year, kind of like workhorse. And it's just not, it's not who we are anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think even if we were willing to do 220 shows a year, I don't think there's 220 shows that would line up, you know? (laughs) That's true. I've talked to a lot of lot of lot of people who uh, it's who either do side projects with their from their real band or they'll do like a new band with people who are their friends and they've been doing it for years and there's all and your message is very there's a very prevalent in that it's like we're doing it we're not going to be Bon Jovi we're going to be right. we're going to be the best band we can be um, we don't have like it, there is sort of that limit between lofty like we're going to fucking tour Europe or we're right. going to do this. It's like everybody knows that there's a step to every process of getting right. and I think yeah. Getting to that level is the first thing. And then once you get to that level, then you can reassess and you can and because you're smarter and older because when you're not when you're 20 years old, your brain's not even developed yet. Like, you know right. what I mean? It's scientific, <laughs> you know. And I I I always say like there's no guarantee about it, but I think like I always say like people in the music industry that I deal with on a regular basis the ones who have been in bands that never succeeded are usually the best people to deal with because like they've done enough of it to know how bad it can be. And they've never really done it to where they can like have that lap of luxury. So for them, it's like, they know there's like a certain level of humility that comes from being in a van on a shitty tour. But there's also that naivety that comes with it where you're not really aware of how shitty it is at the time. Yeah. You're just so happy to like be out. And I think that's such an important thing that people need to keep in mind. It's like, you know, you look at bands of all sizes, you know what I mean? Um, and the good ones that have, have like very few bands, at least in the punk world, I would say, like maybe in the, the big rock world, there's people who just like had every intention of setting out and conquering the world. But even that, like, you know, I think you look at a band, I mean, I just happened to see Rise Against like over the weekend mm-hmm. and those guys were just touring in a van. Yeah. You know, like they were just touring in a van looking for any opening tour. I mean, they opened for, I mean, like I remember hearing the story about how, like, I think they got paid like seventy-five bucks a night or fifty bucks a night on the Reach and Sky tour that they did in two thousand one or two thousand two. Like, they were just a band that were fucking cutting their teeth, yeah, 
touring wherever. I remember being on samplers with them, like in, yeah, early two thousands, and going, hey, yeah. this band's great," you know. And <laughs> and then yeah, and then they were on radio, like right a couple I mean, years just, later, right? Yeah, they were they were they took that jump when a lot of bands would have been afraid to, and mm. they just you know they always remember where they came from. And that there's a couple other bands, and all I'm. I'm going to keep their names out of this because I don't want to out anybody, but it's like, there's bands that are pretty big bands now who still remember. They keep their enemies list. Like they're, they're not going to be mean to that person, but they remember the people who were disrespectful to them when they were younger Yeah, uh, and smaller, if for no other reason other than they're the smaller band on the package. Yeah. But then at the same point in time, there's bands who remember what that was like, you know? And I think like, you know, Rise Against and, you know, Dropkicks are another band. Like they take care of their opening bands because yeah. they were an opening band. Like they they remember those moments, and I think like that's such an important thing for bands of all sizes to remember. It's like the ba- the bands that are always like the the easiest to kind of get along with are the ones who came up through that network. Yeah, totally, totally. I toured with us so, uh, with uh, some forty one for a couple of years. I was like their elder tour manager. I was thirty something, and they were like seventeen, eighteen, and. <laughs> yeah. um those kids, man, like they got it. They figured out, you know, and they gave me lots of credit for teaching them how to tour because it's like I just got off tour with like SNFU for ten, eight years or whatever, right? right? So I was like, you know, <laughs> management wants me to tell you to go to sleep before two, but you know, my, my, this is a real conversation I have with them. Like, but you know, you guys might never be here next year. So go have much fun. Don't get me thrown in jail. Don't get thrown in jail and just do it. Like live right. life. And they really appreciated that, you know what I mean? And they went through 40-something tour managers after I quit and because they just needed someone that they could relate to. And um, I remember taking Mark Belke on tour just to do guitars. And he's looking at like these guys skateboard and hang out and like, these guys are the real deal. And if you get a validation from a punk rock legend, yeah, you know what I mean? You know, Kerry King from Slayer, like nobody, and Fletcher from Pennywise that fucked with everybody. He loved oh, those yeah. guys. And like, so that's pretty good validation, you know, for a bunch of kids so from the suburbs, you know. There's a level of humility when uh, Fletcher decides he likes you and he punches you in the chest. And yeah. the of endearment. It's like, I mean, I needed those, I needed those rib bones, but thank you. Like that was not, that was, those lungs will heal eventually, but thanks, Fletcher. That was, that was I, great. I filled in for, um, for a tour manager, I've known Stefan for 30 years, but I, I, tour, I tour managed two shows for Descendants and we were playing with Pennywise and I could see Fletcher sort of eyeballing me up at this party after and then he comes up and goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm Descendants tour manager. He goes, respect. That was it. And he walked away. I'm like, and at the same time, he was punching into a watermelon to try to make juice out of it. And I'm like, <laughs> and I've heard crazy stories because... I've just I mean, heard stories. Tell, I'm sure I'm sure he'll tell you most of them without much prompting. Absolutely. You know, like, hey. Fucking tell me this story. He's a thief. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but yeah, yes. I know. So, and then here you are, like, you know, working with some 41, getting validation. And they took my shitty band to Europe with them to go to open up for them. It's like, holy crap, who would do that? You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't, that's cool. Every show is sold out. So, you know, you can come out and open up your little band can come and open up for them. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And that's, that's the community that we foster. That's the community that I feel I passed down. And I'm sure you'd feel that someone passed it down to you and that got passed down to me. And, and that's the generational kind of vibe on the whole thing. And I guess that's the spirit of independent music, right? It still needs to be. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think it's important to be uh, aware of that, you know? And I think, uh, I mean, there's not, I'm not taking anything away. I mean, the older I get, the less I really care about that stuff in right. terms of like, you know, 
so-and-so what's punk and what's not and this band is more punk than that band and those conversations had a whole lot of weight when you're younger and uh as of now it's just like are you a good person and do you actually enjoy doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. um or are you a good person and you're kind of just going through the motions because it's a it's a decent way to travel and make some money like there's also a certain level of that where i'm like yeah 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 totally as long as you're as long as you're not out there being like a conspiracy theorist fuckhead like cool like yeah you're not hurting anybody and if you're having a good time and your your family's able to do this and you don't this is the job you want and your family's supportive of it and you can enjoy yourself and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, totally. So, you know, and I, it's, it's funny you say that because there are people that I know who are still actively touring and they're not really super happy about it. They do it. They call it like one guy calls it plowing the field. You know what I mean? Right. It gives you a very good metaphor as to what he's talking about. You know, it's like he's getting out there, he's getting it done and coming home and, you know, doing the other thing he does. You know, it's, there's, there are a certain limit of limitation of like, there are, are people at a certain age limit. You start, stop worrying about like, I don't need this. I want it, but I don't need it because other things start taking over. You start like, oh, I like where I sleep. I like my apartment. I don't like moving five times a year, you know, getting five jobs and quitting because I have to go on tour. Like, you know, no, it's, 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 there are people who are wired for it, you know, and for the bands that make it work and can, can string together something really awesome. Like they're, they totally deserve it. You know, like even being in a, even being in an arena band signed to a major label with all kinds of marketing money and whatever the hell other tricks you want to put there. Like it's still not easy. There's a whole hell of a lot of bands behind those bands who didn't make shit of it. Oh yeah. And so like, it's you know, seeing it from the inside and then also seeing like the perspective from bands that are big, you know, and then bands that are like trying to get to that next level, you know, go from that, 2000 to 5000 capacity venue which to all of our band touring minds like holy shit you got to be making so much money Mm. but then the reality is on a lot of those first tours like a lot of those bands are making a little bit or breaking even because they're putting all this you know all this effort and and investment into these other things just something i would have never been aware of you know oh yeah yeah i 17 doing my first week in a van (laughs) and just like playing some shows in Cleveland and thinking this is the pinnacle of human existence. Yeah. Yeah. And then you realize like there's a whole world out there and you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, you just gotta, you gotta be aware of it. And like anybody doing that grind, it's, you know, even seeing some of the biggest bands, man, like it's crazy. It's, uh, you know, you gotta go out there and you gotta put the work in. And yeah. I, I, I don't, I, if I, if I could go back and tell 15 year old me anything and be like, just don't be such a, you know, reactionary dick about these bands because it's like you, you have no fucking clue what you're talking about yeah definitely like i I've, I've worked a lot of like local cruise shows and we i worked one for um for uh for bon jovi and yeah. just seeing sort of like the behind part of it about what it takes to get out there and be that band it's like you know, it is, a, you just don't see that. You know, you see the curtain open, yeah. there comes Bon Jovi, everybody's like, yeah, it's fucking Bon Jovi. But in the back, he's just like sitting there hanging out, going, shaking his head, going, yeah, you know, whatever they were talking about, and then going, oh, I gotta go, and then I gotta put the smile on, here's the teeth, you know, and it's like, wow, that must be so sad, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, but but here you are, you have apparently everything, you know? And you, you think of like, you know, Chris Cornell and things like that of like who potentially would just have the world and all of a sudden just right. would switch it off. You know, it's like, yeah. And I mean, it's like, that's, that's the, 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 
the touring grind, I mean, even for like, I don't know about your touring experience. I know like everybody's touring experience is different. So I can only speak for myself. And I wish, I wish Matt could be here because it would be really interesting. You know, we talk about this stuff, but I also haven't heard him tell some of these stories in a long time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm always curious because he's not in the music world at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he, like a friend of ours was doing real estate. And as he was kind of touring and feeling that burn, like he kind of found his way into that. Um, But yeah, I mean, for me, it was like I was touring in a band and there was financial issues with within the band. There was money not being equally distributed after we kind of did some digging and none of that even related to us being on victory. Like mm-hmm. we're probably one of the few bands where it's like, I don't think Tony ever owed us money. Um, and now he's sold the record label so I can tell the story more publicly, but like <laughs> we were supposed to get this massive amount of tour support. We never got it. And so I, like we knew ahead of time we weren't going to get it. So we just used that print shop. The second we got an invoice, we just tore that shit up. We never paid for merch. Yeah. Um, because we knew like that tour support amount that he was supposed to give us is like, there's no fucking way we're getting this. Yeah. So at least we can get something in exchange. And if he ever comes knocking, we at least have like something to trade it out for. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, not every band has that, like not has that story. And then I was only, I was young. I was only 23 and just kind of, you know, my wife, my now wife and I were, were dating at the time. And I just like, I'm not enjoying this. Like this is everything I ever wanted. And I know that maybe I could do another band and there were other opportunities that I had and other offers that I had. But like, I just quit the band. I was going to finish our last tour and then everything blew up three nights before the tour. And then uh, I had to go find a job, mm-hmm. you know, and then one, one path leads to the next and I'm still here. But yeah, it's it, different band experiences, different touring experiences, different kind of moments and like, you know, kind of crazy to still be kind of floating around it. Yeah. Or even just still the passion of being able to contribute into something like that. A lot of people like, say, for instance, for instance, if you sold real estate and you got burnt three times, you wouldn't sell real estate anymore, wouldn't you? You'd be like, fuck that. I won't want to sell. I'm not selling a thing. Well, you know, but, yeah. but if you get burnt three times in the music business, it's like, well, you know, there's always this and there's always that. And it seems like it's like we're almost glutton for, uh, for punishment, you know, but it's a punishment because the payoff when you get it, it's just so great when you actually get it. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's also, um, trying to think about you're, you're making the point, <laughs> edit this one down. Um, <laughs> shit. I don't, well, I don't edit. You. I don't edit. I know. I say there's, there's something, I don't want to interrupt you. And I had a, I had a thought about what you were saying, eh, whatever. Mm. It was important. I'll bring it back. That's cool. Um, but no, I think like the, the, the aspects of, um, Shit. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, I totally, totally not. Oh, it's cool, man. I just blew you away. Blew you away, man. Um, No, I I really do. Like, I lived through it. I lived through it in my 30s, you know, where I had a label saying, oh, yeah, we'll put two albums out for you. And then we're going to put an album, two albums out in Japan. And then, oh, we got a publishing deal for you. I'm like, it's looking great. And then we find out we're not getting any, we're actually not getting what our, our actual contract said. And so we did these tours and I got these great opening slots and we're going to Europe. I mean, it doesn't cost, it's not cheap. You know, I, I independently lost $10,000 on one tour personally, my own money. And because I had to buy plane flights and there was no support and we're supposed to get tour support. We're supposed to get this and that and that. And then we ended up getting a bill from our label saying you owe us a thousand dollars. I'm like a thousand dollars. That's a, that's a very round number. Like how, how can you come up with $1,000? It wasn't 999. It wasn't a thousand and one. So you got receipts and they go, well, well, this is a thousand from the credit card, a thousand dollars. I'm like, 
Well, you got to show them. I'm not paying you. I'm not just going to give you a thousand dollars. I've already right. paid ten thousand to be on this tour. And by the way, you didn't send any albums to our shows that we're playing in front of three thousand people a night. So I think we're kind of even here. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's tough. I mean, it's you know the uh, I think the the touring aspect of things. You know, going back to your point earlier, yeah. like I feel like the touring aspect of things, and this is sort of the the various people that come and go from the world at different times. I think that there's a certain level of touring, whether you're a musician, whether you're a crew, whatever it might be, where it's like, you know, I mean, the company I work with now, it's like most of the people that have been there the longest all come from touring. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've got a good little company going, but most of the key people, they were all in bands, you know? And I think there's a certain level of jack of all trades, master of none that kind of comes with that, where it's like, you know, you can, coordinate you don't even realize how well you can coordinate logistics and how well you can manage a budget and how well you can interact with people in in a weird subtle way how much of a salesperson you are um but then there's really no you know worker apprentice certification for like i am a touring musician um you know the the most qualified people in the world i feel like there's just all these in the real world outside of the touring profession and the touring existence um there's a lot of people where I just feel like they stick with it because there's nothing else there. And that getting off of that treadmill is a really fucking scary thing. Yeah. And so it's just like to, to take a step off of that and to have a backup plan or even to have like some inkling of where you're going. I mean, shifting gears like that is hard and it takes time and it takes a lot of patience. And you know, there's a lot of well, you know, well-to-do professional people that came out of the touring world who aren't doing anything with punk at all. Or, or music in general, but yeah. it is tough. Like it is a scary, sobering point, you know? It's like, I mean, I was young and dumb and already in debt. So for me, like quitting touring to like quick get a job at an eBay store, it's like, well, I know how to sell stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. And uh, that actually created a way for me to understand e-commerce in 2005, which was, I feel like e-commerce and all these advanced shipping systems and, and label efficiencies and all these things that then, brought me to my next job which brought me to my next job but you know you just have to be willing to take that jump sometimes yeah i do think that there is a you know i think the pandemic unfortunately like the real hard lockdown moment of that really kind of exacerbated some of those those you know lingering depressions i think a lot of people were living with but they never really had to address because there's always a tour to jump to and there's always something else to go to yeah but then when the treadmill the treadmill stops you really have to wonder like okay now what you know um, and I know right now in the touring world, there's a crew shortage because a lot of people were forced to find other shit to do. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't want to go back out, you know, yeah. but they had no choice and they had to do something. Um, you know, and then other people are very happy and ready to go, ready to get back out there, quit the job they had, and get, get the hell back out, you know? Yeah. I noticed that too. Cause I, I when I, 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 I'm a technical director at a theater, so I need to hire a crew. Um, we lost three good people. Well, two, mm-hmm. two and a half good people, but we, it's tough to get those people back because the, the, the bar is lowered for quality and the age is lowered. And now there's like the people who are like forties and fifties are like, I'm done. I got to find something else. You know, one guy just moved, friend of mine just moved up to the woods. Like he built yeah. a cabin in the woods and he's like, you know what? I'll come down once a week, do a gig here and there, but I, he's basically done. And, and that is, I mean, 
I don't know what's going to happen because it's so so everything's moving so fast. So I don't know, or or slow, or both, right? So yeah, where everybody's just taken a puzzle and they've thrown it in the air, and they're expecting it to land all put back together, and we all got to find pieces under the couch and this and that, like to to try to see how this is all going to work in the future because it's not going to be the same. You know, people think and they're fooling themselves if they think it's going to be the same. They're fooling themselves. It's not going to be the same. You're going to have. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be the same. I just think it's going to be 2023 until we feel some form of normal. Yeah. But it's not going to be. Yeah. You know, I knock on wood that there's going to be some like rapid COVID style test that you can just take before you go into a venue. Well, they have a 20 minute test. There's a 20 minute test, um, but it's still not perfect. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I just think like there's a certain level at this point. I think people are so just worn out by it all that yeah. they're like willing to i mean we played a show we played our first show back two weeks ago yeah and it was right after first avenue in minneapolis started implementing their vaccine requirements mm. and um you know, negative test if you can't prove that you have a vaccine and i don't think there's too many people that would come to see our bands and not have already been vaccinated yeah. and, you know hopefully we don't have a big uh anti-science conspiracy theorist world following us but i guess we know <laughs> We're not that we're not that big, so I, I mean, I feel there's like one. There's got to be know, one. Just one. You probably know twenty percent, thirty percent of the people, forty percent of the people that were at the show anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're normal people, smart people. So, like, but I think there's a certain level where I just think that's got. It. I mean, I'm glad that it's becoming more and more. It's, it's ironic that it's the you know we're sitting here as these liberal punks sitting here like really glad that private industry is coming up with these rules to keep us safe (laughs) it's like thank god live nation and aeg are creating these smart corporate policies and we can't get like normal you know civic regulation but well that's the thing with with our because we are it's funny you saying live nation because we're looking to them to see what what we're going to do you know and you know it's in quebec actually they're doing um the vaccine passport you need a passport to to get right. to get, and the the premier of the of of Quebec is getting death threats. Like people are freaking out. Like they think it's like, what are you gonna do? Come through my door with your boots, and you know, and you're gonna take me off to a camp. Like they feel like it's like, like, like just like the worst thing. Like close to Holocaust proportions. You know, like I mean, it's just it's so and bizarre. it's I mean, but ridiculous. It's, you know, it's the it's the offshoot of all this stuff. I mean, for us, like. I hate talking about it, not hate, but I feel kind of bad to, to admit publicly, like, you know, we were supposed to record this album in May and had we, or May of last year. Mm. And had we done that, there would be seven different songs on the record. <laughs> so of the 10 that we recorded, yeah, um, there were six songs that, I don't, I think it's six that we don't play anymore. Yeah. Like we just kind of, or we or three that we were still working on. So it's like three of them we scrapped, three of them we decided needed to be like reworked. Um and you could take a breath. A bunch of them came yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah like just yeah. like really focus and get neurotic and and it was nice to have something to think about. It was nice to have something to kind of like hyper obsess over mm. and uh, you know, to just play drums in my headphones and just pretend that we're doing a practice and it felt good, you know, to yeah. have something and then to have friends that we trusted. So it's like we were practicing, you know, allegedly, you know, during the quarantine window where public businesses weren't open. And I remember going in and, you know, I was talking to my wife and Matt was talking to his wife. And we actually went in and made sure our spaces when we first started going into the space were like eight feet apart. You know, he was in one corner. Yeah. I was in the other corner. 
And for the first couple practices, he was facing one way. I was facing the other. We're just like all, all masked up. Yeah. We're just like, look, if we don't have this, we're going to go fucking crazy. Yeah. And yeah. so we just, you know, kept hacking away at it. And then, you know, we added more people as we got more comfortable again. And then just, we had something, we had something to go do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I just feel like a lot of the people spinning out of control just didn't have that. So there's in like their, their neurotic corners of like self-research for 18 months. And no one is sitting there going like, yo, slow your roll a little bit. They're just finding all these people amping them up more and more. Yeah. And like, perhaps those personalities are always there. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, like if I had a way to just like put a barcode on my phone, like, I don't give a shit. This thing's already a walking barcode anyway. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, like we're all worried about what that tells you, but then it's like, if anybody knew that, like, okay, so you don't use Apple Pay, like, do you realize how much of your information, Visa, MasterCard, and Amex are sharing back and forth with Facebook and all these other people? Oh, yeah. it's like, they know, they know damn well where you are, what time you're there, what your habits are. They could pinpoint you within a half an hour. Oh, don't totally. worry about it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like, you're easily triangulated. You're easily triangulated, and also not for nothing, you're fucking boring. So don't <laughs> yeah. like the government doesn't give a fuck about you. Nope. Like you're not a risk or an interest. Like mm. your family probably finds you boring. Like quit looking at Facebook. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's funny you'd say because when when people I talk to a lot of people in a lot of pandemic conversation comes up. There's probably three times, and it's like three or two a year and a bit of where it doesn't come up. But when we do talk about it, it's there's like, I have rules. Like if you're writing COVID songs, there are rules. You can't put COVID in the lyrics. Pandemic can't rhyme anything with any of those things. Those are rules. Like if you do, I'm, I'm, you're dead to me. Like I just, I can't. I just can't even, I, I don't think I'd even want to listen to a song that was that literal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just like, okay. I mean like, sure. We're all experiencing something shared. And yeah. If it's not like with, I'm not going to say like a sense of humor because none of this shit was actually funny, but not just, at all. there's a certain level of um, like, I don't need to see a movie or a rom-com about like COVID. Yeah. You know, like I just, it's the least interesting thing that I can. Yeah. I, I want to forget imagine. it. I just want to, yeah. I just want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'll take, I'll take seasons three, four and eight of Tiger King over ah! like <laughs> another round of like, I just don't need that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think that's, I think there's a lot of, I don't, think there's too much that's come up in my world that has a a covid related like a one one person show or an art exhibit or they can't you don't matter what you're doing you cannot draw attention to it you have to like because for instance we had i don't know if you had it in, in in your part of the woods but we had in the early 2000s late 90s sars which is basically yeah. it's covid and right. so it took we it's weird how the Things didn't really shut off, and we had massive deaths and you know things like that. We even had a concert that the Rolling Stones played, you know, in front of them like a million people or something. It was like this big show. It was called SARS Fest, and I think, wow, that's a different way to deal. And, and but I'm realizing it's the exact same respiratory illness. Like it'll kill you. Yeah. And I think what people just forgot about it, and I think that's what we have. To, and when people forget about it, then then we can somehow get back to a normal way of dealing with stuff and maybe take a little bit of culture from Japan and say, well, I'm not feeling well. I'm just going to put a mask on. Oh, I'm, if I ever get on a plane, I think I'm, I'm masks from here on. Dude, out. I flew to Alberta two weeks ago and Saskatoon the week before that and week after that. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's also, it's also that, that 
reality of like what corporate America could have been doing the whole time. Yeah. But I mean, just think about like, you know, they're putting all these crazy filters on planes now. It's like, oh, you could have done that. That was available. You could have done that within a couple of weeks before. Like now yeah. you're just forced to do it. Oh yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, just like, I'm absolutely going to do that. I mean, I think about the tours that I did where I mean, who, every band has toured Europe. Somebody's gotten deathly ill. At <laughs> it's just kind of, it's kind of the requirement of touring Europe in the winter. Like someone's going to yeah. come close to death just from some disgust. It's always a singer too. It's always a singer. Blue or cold. Well, I was the one. <laughs> yeah. I was the one who, you know, we had two efficiency hotel rooms and I got a room all to myself sweating and like skin is turning varied colors. And then yeah. the other room had six people in it. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To myself <laughs> but uh yeah. no, it was horrible it was horrible like i do not recommend it it's probably one of the reasons why i decided like touring was just not for me yeah but uh yeah, man yeah. yeah it's 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 crazy to think how it's all going to come out like even even with us now like putting this record out it's like well we'll play shows where we can you know yeah like, if it works cool like we just have to be patient with the world opening up and yeah What's your thoughts on streaming and and such? Are you streaming type friendly type people or? I think it kind of comes, I think it's sort of, well, yeah, I mean, it's so ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, And I think like there's a certain level of it where um, you just have to embrace it as what it is. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's hard. You can't sit there and be the the old man on the porch screaming about it. I mean, it is kind of crazy, like the math on it, Mm. you know, where, you know, we just launched our, cd and vinyl pre-orders yesterday um but to think like the handful of sales we had was the equivalent of like you know hundreds of thousands of streams yeah <laughs> you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah yeah and to think of like how impressive that is like oh that band has streamed a million times on this song or whatever the numbers might be yeah and you realize that but also at the same <laughs> at the same point in time like it's it's really hard to get super revved up about it because you think about um i mean yeah you know like i you know, I've, I've, the way I've heard it described sometimes is, is that, you know, think of every time you bought a, bought a CD when you were growing up or bought an LP or bought a tape, whatever it might've been. How many times did you copy that for a friend, you know, mm. in terms of just the word of mouth exploration and, and, and sort of discovery mode. And now it's like, there's a way, like labels are getting a little bit every single time you make that mixtape, every single time you listen to it in the car, every single time you're, you're kind of going through that routine of listening to music. And, and it doesn't add up. And I do think there's serious discussions about the royalty, you know, breakdowns of it all, but that's outside of my world. Like I don't, I can't change that. So it's no. like either you embrace it or you go with it. Yeah. The reality is like, that's how people are discovering music. Mm. And I think it's, it's really foolish to be like, we're not streaming our music when, yeah. you know, that is just the way people consume and discover. Like that is your sure. demo tape now. That yeah. is, you know, I discovered Elway from, uh, from Spotify. Great band. Oh, totally. I mean, I, Great I band. there's bands like I, I discovered that the band from Canada crusades, yeah. um, the band is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, I think their last two records are so fucking good mm-hmm. and so unique and so like just deserving of way more recognition and attention that they got. Yeah. But then, you know, you tally up what the, you know, the streaming numbers are, I did air quotes. Like yeah. yeah no, audio, but I, I, I air quoted <laughs> streaming numbers. Um, and it's just, it's not, not yeah. that, not that big, relatively speaking. Yeah. You have a better I chance discovered of that purely, purely off of a, a Spotify kind of like radio sure. shuffle that kept going. And I was just every once in a while, something piques my interest and it's like, yeah. holy shit, what is this? You'd have a better chance, like putting stuff on YouTube 
and the, the the revenue breakdown is a lot more friendly you know if you you know, if you used youtube to present your content um yeah i think there's a story about spotify that when they were first starting out they were looking for labels and labels were selling them pennies on the dollar their yeah. whole catalogs you know came out of europe and i'm like my band was already on there and before it even came to canada or came to to the united states and and i think we have uh you know whatever it's zero money we have made zero money <laughs> in 10 years you know yeah but the other thing about it though is like i still think like all things considered every band i was in pretty much made no money yeah in a lot of ways so like sitting there and going you know oh we put out a demo tape well how much did you pay for the demo tapes that you bought from fucking radio shack mm. or wherever you got them from and then you're sitting there for well, how long is your demo tape 15 minutes well you're sitting there and replaying your demo tape 15 minutes at a time all day making those tapes from your recorder you know you're sitting there you're making the copies you're doing the whole thing and again it was just about getting stuff out there yeah you know and i think i think like the the awareness and the discovery like the word of mouth existence is so it's just as important now as it was in the mid-90s and once a friend tells somebody they like something, that's great, you know? Yep, that's um, how it works, you know? You're right. We're sitting and talking about two bands that, you know, relatively have made their successes based on streaming, you know? So who are we? Who am I to judge? You know, I, I wrote a kid's theme song for a kid's TV show, and I still get money for it, and it's 30 seconds long, right. you know? And that's just from a 30-second long piece of song so it's rare how it's weird how sometimes you can say oh well that it, it doesn't pay for all the tours i've paid for or records right. or recordings or whatnot or equipment i've purchased for recording but you know but it's still it is something when you go oh well that's great you know and it sort of circles back to that sort of why do we do it well we do it for our own reasons now we don't do it for you know sick success is such a weird word out of this you can see if your album breaks even that's success as far as i'm concerned right right and mm -hmm. I, I mean there's so many i mean it's also just understanding like what your motivation is at this point right i mean for us all of us have been in various bands i mean maybe i guess our our bass player dan has always played in bands but he's all he's never really had his, his i don't think he ever set a life mission i mean he could correct me if he even listens to this but mm -hmm. um he was probably the one, but it's like, I know Matt, you know, the main singer and then Brent who's the second guitarist and backup vocalist. Like we've all had different experiences and I'm pretty sure Brent's most successful financial band was his uh, Metallica cover band where he was a Gallagher impersonator as the singer. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that made him the most amount of money of any band he's ever been in. Oh yeah. But he's, he's a insanely talented guitarist, just a fucking musical wizard. That mm -hmm. guy, like he could close his eyes and step into any band from you know give him a half an hour and he's ready for an iron maiden two and a half hour set like mm -hmm. and it's just he's just a library of music but that doesn't always mean success nope. you know like talent and there's just whether it's luck whether it's whatever it's like understanding that it's like why are you really doing this why yeah. are you really spending your time doing it and just having that motivation and and feeling that again you know because i didn't play drums for 15 no, 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't touch my drums. You know, I just thought I was done. Like, it was like, well, I'm never going back. Like ending of the band wasn't positive and it was pretty dark when I left Minneapolis. And so it was just one of those things where I was okay with it. I was okay not being in the band, but then when I moved back home and kind of just hanging out with friends and something silly came up and you know, our, it's very easy to trace 
our band, Desperate Acts, back to a Dillinger 4th of July where we were at a bar and Patty was serving and this idea for a band called Edge Break, which was the all straight edge cover band played by former straight edge guys, but like doing actually, you know, serious renditions of straight edge anthems. And, uh, you know, Patty and Eric and those guys all grew up in that, you know, late eighties youth crew hardcore scene. And so it's just funny to think like that drunken, stupid moment is what spawned this band. Cause it was just like, even doing something as, yeah. as, ridiculous as that like we still put our efforts in we still had fun with it we still wanted to play those songs well because that shit's fun to play yeah 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 um but you know it's just you're never really aware of it but it's like oh you know what it turns out like hanging out creatively in a practice space with some friends is a good time it is a fun way to do shit totally and maybe that's all that we need to that maybe that's our only goal you know yeah yeah um, yeah yeah i remember we we played with chokehold uh in I think St. Paul or Minneapolis somewhere. They would just seem so bummed out all the time. Like, come on, guys, smile. You know, you're on tour. <laughs> like, but they always seem yeah so serious. It's like maybe they weren't. Maybe they just were in a bad mood. Um, yeah, man. Well, you know what? I got I got the record here. Let's um, is I really like drawing out, but but is there a song you particularly want? I have the whole record here. Oi, um, I guess it just depends. It's hard for me to like pick one. I guess like, you know, we just put out the song State Secrets, but that's like the most, it's like a more kind of mid-tempo, I guess, like leather facey, but mm. not, it's not, I mean, it's, I, I say leather face only in that, in so far that like, there's two pretty intricate guitar parts laying over each other and it's not like a fast ripping song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I guess I don't know. <laughs> let's let's do uh, let my choice then. Let's do Jeff Chris yeah, because I really do I, Jeff Chris.
yeah. then to have it be a label that's like got a really you know solid growing base you know with, yeah you know with a, with a variety of different bands you know yeah no like it's a great record and like i said we were saying before and it's it's gonna be it's it's like it feels like maybe there's some sort of renaissance for 90s music or maybe there seems to be the essence of what made it so awesome without tagging it with you know what i mean like right it's you know everything kind of always comes in around in a circle and it feels like maybe it's time for melodic um emotion felt music to sort of have its place again you know or maybe somehow make it into the people's hearts and minds you know because like older people like folks like me this is stuff that i was like you'd hear this in a van you'd be like fuck yeah you know it used to be like something you would freak out on you know or you heard it for the first time and you'd be like tingling you know what i mean it's like this is great this is people carrying the flag for something I i don't know I really don't know what I'm saying, but I do, I do know that it's a great record and I'm going to share it with all my friends. So, uh, yeah, please. I mean, I, I appreciate hearing that. Like it, for us, like that to us is just as much of the reason, like hopefully people buy it and all that. Like, you know, I just don't want Stefan to lose too much money, but we're very, very cool with everything we're doing with them. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's really just like, you know, it's sort of like that lease on that second lease on life at least for me you know mm-hmm. i can't speak for everybody else but it's just like it's just nice to have that like i i feel like we're high schoolers again yeah you know what i mean yeah, yeah like yeah. i feel like you know my first high school band that i was in all our goal was to, was to play a show at you know the sociopath house or mm-hmm. you know dead and alley wasn't open anymore but like we just wanted to play a show in a real house not our friend's house not our yeah. friend's garage like we could pull together all these uh, you know suburban miscreants or whatever but to have it actually a show that was all that's all we wanted to do and then like you know one thing like we got to play one of the dillinger four record release shows with discount as friends of ross and i was like 15 or 16 and just to have that experience and be like i can't believe this is happening like you know the fact that we're playing first in a house show or a you know a smaller dillinger four show mm-hmm. that didn't matter at all that was like the greatest fucking memory i have of that summer you know where it's like <laughs> these local legends are putting out their first album on, you know, a big California record label. I love discount. And I thought as friends, Russ was cool, but to like be able to play with those bands, I just like, this is amazing. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. exceeding those expectations by miles, you know, and it was still, you know, in hindsight, it was so small, but it felt so big and so important. And now just being able to kind of come back full circle, it's like, I just want to, you know, play some shows with our friends, you yeah. know, like, play some shows with bands that like if we can play a show where we want every band on the lineup, we want to watch like that's, that's a blessing, you know, like that's as good as as it can possibly get. And uh, to find people who like it, you know, I mean, it's, we know that it's, you know, I'd be, I mean, you can tell by the, the data that you can see just from like the limited info on Spotify or whatever, like we know our audience is above 30, Yeah, you know, and if younger kids are getting into it, hell yeah. You know, that'd be great. Um, you're more than welcome. And I don't think, you know, all of our songs are specifically about, you know, being old and having herniated discs or whatever. But I mean, it's, it's something we've gone through. We just haven't written songs. About yeah. It. No, you but know. I think there's a, there's a certain level where it's like you just embrace, you embrace what you're doing for who you're doing it for and fuck whatever else happens. Like whoever wants to come along. Awesome. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, yeah. Because the people who, the people who have like, reached out or or connected to us you know again in life it's like 
I just enjoy being able to send this to friends and they might not like it, but they can listen to it and be like, oh, that's cool. You're doing something. And like, at least you can listen to it and be like, eh, it's not for me. It doesn't suck, but it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And the people who can connect with it, like, that'd be great. You know, um, but I sent it to a friend of mine and he was, the, there's a line on the first song I'm trying out where it's like, Matt references tea times. And he's like, is that a tea time for golf or a tea time for tea? I was like, well, it's kind of a play on both. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, that's the first time I've ever heard a punk band singing about tea time. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'd have to dig into some later no effects records. Maybe. Yeah, golf and punk, they, they do go hand in hand in several respects. Absolutely. <laughs> They're terrible at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, man, I, fun. I, yeah, I appreciate being on the show, man. And uh, like, anytime you guys want to come to Canada, I got couches, uh, I got gear. <laughs> no are you in Winnipeg or where? No, are you? I'm in. I'm just outside of Toronto. So, uh, okay, cool. yeah, I'm uh, about an hour and a half. Well, an hour and fifteen minutes outside of Toronto, small town. So, it's uh, the uh, the Canadian equivalent where everybody in Winnipeg eventually leaves Winnipeg. Yeah, but then. The ones who have kids always end up back. They go back, yeah. Uh, Jason Tate, Weaker Thans, uh, I, we played in a band together before, Weaker Thans, and he moved to Toronto, and he's like, this is the best place ever. But he, before that, he's like, I don't need to leave Winnipeg. And then and then I called him on his shit because I'm like, dude, you said you'd never leave Toronto. He goes, yeah, but there's this one store closed. So he's like, well, that place closed, so I had to move back to Winnipeg. I'm like, well, okay. okay. I've always enjoyed Winnipeg. I mean, obviously, like it's got its issues or whatever, but... I mean, yeah, those are my first. Those are my first out of country shows that I ever got yeah. to play. So like, yeah, I mean, it didn't matter, you know. I mean, like, it, it was just the fact that you could go there and there were people there and there was so many great scene, awesome people. Yeah, yeah. You know? I remember, I remember, <laughs> I remember flying home from Vancouver and I had an exchange in Winnipeg and it was like April, and I'm like, why is there still snow here? Like. <laughs> Get me the fuck out of here! And then yeah, we fled. And then to, I think it was like a year half later. I moved to Winnipeg. Like that was the oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, um, I mean, I man, spent there's some, some. I mean, it's just it's so crazy to think about how many. And I think it probably just comes down from the winter. And I feel like that might be why Winnipeg and Minneapolis were always so tightly knit. Yeah, it's like you think about even the diversity of bands. You know what I mean? Like the it wasn't that big of a city, so it's like you know when propagandis writing tracks about the amy grant mosh cruise it's like i knew both sides of that mm -hmm. you know what i mean like I, I knew i knew people in both of those scenes and yeah i mean i was making i i i'm glad i softened up a little bit because some of the guys from you know that the amy grant mosh cruise he was making fun of like there's some people that are really fucking cool people from that world and i know <laughs> that they're all those fences eventually mended but it wasn't that big of a city but there was so much being done there and i think it's you know that that isolated midwestern yeah i mean the canadian the canadian equivalent of midwestern yeah 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 absolutely and the fact it was just big enough to have a real scene and small enough to keep the scene in its you know and, and like you said it was inclusive there's like power pop bands hardcore bands we'd all play shows together you know at the west end cultural center or whatever and right. there was never any judgment it was I always played, just like i played the west end yeah yeah man that was a cool place. I mean, that place is unto its own. They, I've never really seen it. Unless you go to Europe, there's like nothing really like that anywhere else in Canada where it's co-op. Like explaining, explaining like the early, like playing the shows, playing shows at the Albert, like just how yeah. unpredictable a night around the Albert could be. <laughs> draft um, night. I know people would book their tours around draft night, which was Thursday nights uh, to, to make sure that, that it would land on the draft night because it was always full of people. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Oh man. Do you ever, you never stayed at the Albert? Did you ever stay at the Albert? Never stayed at the Albert. No, we, need, we had a I chance think they to. Always, I think they always offered rooms as like, a part of the show, if I remember no. correctly. Yeah. But I think it was just like, even the first time that I played there, it was, I mean, we played there in like January. Yeah. Um, like in the middle of the winter. So it wasn't even like, you know, but we always had friends that we could crash with. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just such a, to me, it was just like, wow, I get to, you know, playing the Royal Albert. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and it just, you don't, you don't care about anything else. Like the first time you play, for me, it was like, for me, it was feeling like I was playing CDs. You know what I mean? Just because yep. like those bands were so, you know, instrumental and important to me and they felt so important. And so you get to play there and it's just a, you know, and it actually sounded really good. And yeah, that was yeah. The other thing about it, like yeah. the house sound and the stage sound, yeah. it was like, I mean, it. That's the one thing about CBs too. Is that like CBs always like it sounded incredible. Like it, it was amazing to play there. Yeah, but the I mixed Albert there once. I mixed the CB. But Albert, you know who the different reason is? Is because Mark the Butcher was the sound guy for Propaganda. He ended up touring all over the world with with that band. He became oh, okay. their sound guy. Yeah, I met Mark the Butcher in like 1991. Was on tour of my band called Trigger Happy. And and that's the first time I met him, and uh, yeah, he, he he ended up after the Albert whatever he got his PA system. I think he toured with Propagandi. I think he still does. Actually, I think he's still their guy. <laughs> him or the, I thought did they have Barney? I think or am I mixing that up a bit? Mm, I don't know. Yeah, they had Mark and they had this guy Keebler, who's another friend of mine. He he's now oh, out. Keebler, of, yeah, yeah. He he's now in Montreal, um, yeah. but yeah, it was cool. I got to see him at the Phoenix um, uh, in Toronto. A couple of years ago, but they just keep putting great records out. And it's like, yeah, I, they're still so good, man. Oh my God. And it's God. still like, I mean, even like the thing about it too, is that they're another band where it's like, they're aging so fucking gracefully and they mm. make everybody else look like fools because like, they're still, still as strong and still, I mean, I, you know, for me, when less talk more rock came out, like that was such a, a mind blowing moment for me just because it was so much better. I mean, They'd probably say that too, but like it's so much better than how to clean everything in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, like sonically, and to me, the songs and just the the lyrics and just how, you know, intelligently confrontational it was. But then as they've evolved out of that and into, you know, just the the unique force that they are now. Um, and then having songs about like having kids and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're not hiding about the fact that like they're in their forties and and doing 50s. what they're doing yeah yeah 50s yeah yeah well yeah. maybe at the time they're in their late 40s yeah yeah that's like, true yeah, yeah yeah you know what i mean like yeah they're writing these songs about they're not they're writing these songs about whatever is relevant in that moment and like i mean what's that the waiting the adventures of zucosis i think is the name of the song the last song on victory lap like yeah. that song gives me that song came out what 2017 i still listen to it and yeah. having kids myself it's like that song still gives me chills because yeah. it's so you know to me it feels really on the nose and personal um, maybe if you don't have kids, you wouldn't gather those points, but man, it's like, they're still just so fucking good and yeah. sharp yeah. and, you know, they just, I mean, Jordan is still just a, it's all of them, all four of them, yeah. you know, um, it's just, you know, finding somebody who can play guitar, uh, alongside them after, uh, what was the guy's name? The Beef. Left. Yeah. The Beaver. Beef, yeah. yeah. Um, once he left and to find Sulem, I mean, just like. God, how do you? It's just so impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's so impressive. Oh, totally. Such a band. And Matt, Matt toured with them when he was in Comeback Kid, and he always talks about it. For him, like, it's just you know to be able to witness that night in, night out, and just how you know 
how much of an example because they still don't pull any punches you know they're still very much walking the walk and talking the talk yeah and like they you actually, have to do it on their terms they never yes. toured in the so, southern states for reasons that they were getting death threats from like white supremacist groups and stuff and i think just recently like over the past 15 years they've gone down there like yeah i mean it's 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 so impressive about how how uh how much of an example they set hmm. you know for you know come hell or high water and this is how we're going to do things my buddy john Sutton, who played in the Weaker Thans, he went on tour with them on their first tour doing sound. He said the first week was just like to nobody, and all of a sudden the record started selling, and next thing you know, every show just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and people sing along to the songs, and they had no accounting principles. Like, they just put money in a pillowcase. So if you ever needed to buy gas, you would go into the pillowcase, which just had money in it. And it was like, you might as well draw in like a dollar bill sign on the side of the pillowcase. They had a pillowcase full of money. You know, I'm sure they don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, but it's also like there's a certain level where it's just like that's that's how I would hope they were. And they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, they that did. makes me feel good knowing that that, totally. was, their, that yeah. was their kind of experience. And they, they did these tours and they, they actually, for a live band, they were a bit of a joke, actually, in the early, early days. Like when How to Clean Everything came out, they were kind of like, they fucked around. They didn't really play. I mean, I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know Mike Walks. From spending time in Winnipeg, do you know Mike Walks? Oh, I don't know. Walksy, he might have been later than maybe, me. yeah. Um, but they, but what he they... was at the he was at the show that No Effects played with them at the Albert. Oh, okay. That was like a, allegedly the you know the day where where they got they, signed. Yeah, Mike Mike wanted to put out the record, but he's like, yeah, they he told the same stories. Yeah. So I, I interrupted you. Sorry. So so they actually got back from a tour and realized like, hey, this is our job. Like we should probably come to work ten o'clock in the morning, practice all day. And then go home, eat dinner. You know, that was their job five days a week. And uh, that's the reason why they got so goddamn good is that they just took it seriously. Like, we're not like people like us so much. Like, we need to carry some sort of weight behind us. Like, we can't just be like a, you know, a joke band. Because I saw them at the Alma Combo and they just fucked around the whole time. And even Chris said over the mic, we fucking suck. (laughs) Like, it's like, Wow, and that was sort of like well, that was that was that less talk more rock? I think it was. Yeah, it was just as that record was coming out, they were just not taking themselves too seriously. But they, yeah, they got were always serious. such an they were always such an enigma for me because whenever they came through Minneapolis, it was always either I couldn't go to the show just because I was too young mm. and I just had no way to get there, or I was always out of town doing something stupid, you mm. know, whether it was family vacations or whatever it might have been. Um, and they didn't tour that much. Mm-mm. You know, like in that early era. So for me, I didn't even get to see them until, you know, the last 10 years, mm. you know? So for me, it was like, when I finally got to see them, it was like, that, it was a little fanboy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was just, I was so excited that I could finally see them. And and it was also eye opening to see them play. Cause for me, it's like less talk is just such a highly revered record. I mm. mean, that record is singularly responsible for me, you know, my diet, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, my politics is probably very, I mean, I was already leaning that way, but just it provided, you know, words to thoughts that I had already had. The reading list in there was so instructive. Like it was so, you know, monumental for me. Yeah. Remember when they played, they play like all of their newer records and they did a three song batch from less talk and the audience just didn't really react to those songs. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you like how many people have connected with that later stuff. And, you know, they just keep getting better. Yeah. Keep keep pushing the limits. It's fucking 
It's inspiring. It's impressive. It is. It really is. I mean, it's inspiring to see people like that or to see people even closer to my age who are still challenging themselves and not being complacent. And I think like it really is still that point where it's like it's corny, but it's like if they can do it, you know, yeah. Why can't why can't I? Why can't I learn how to do garage band and mm-hmm. play more than one chord? Yeah. You know, let's let's learn two or three. Let's see what we can do here. Yeah. You know? I, I heard I don't know how true this is, but I think Chris and George live right next door to each other. Like they actually live know. in the same <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's that's kinda that's kinda cool. Is um, that the is that is that the we should verify that because I feel like that's almost like the fifty year old version of punk house where it's like, look, we're gonna get our own places. Yeah, yeah, we're moving we're out. We live next to each other. Uh, we'll I, have this shared yard. I think that's verified because I think Chris mentioned that on the podcast. He was on a, on the podcast very like a few years ago now, but he's on this yeah. show. But I think he said something, yeah, Jordan and I live in the same neighborhood. If not, I think it's like across the road or next door to each other, but <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. They can't get enough That's of it. Awesome, I mean, at least it's good when you're going home from tour. You're like, okay, we just parked the van here and we just get out. And then we, that's, that's, we don't need to worry about, you know, catching Ubers. Well, I feel like we've, we've, we've prattled on enough. So I'm not going to ask you about your trigger happy stories or oh. the, uh, the Canadian, any, any legendary SNFU stories. There's plenty of them. All, but yeah, but maybe- all, there's, it's all the Minnesotan aspect of it. There's so many things that pique my interest about that world. Yeah, yeah. When I'm on your podcast, that's when we'll start talking about. <laughs> I don't. The world. The world does not need to hear me. I'm already. I'm already a verbose babbler enough as it yeah. is. Like I have to get. I basically have to get band permission to do interviews these days. Oh man, like, no! This the, has been great. I, 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 I'm the annoying. I'm the annoying. I'm the annoying guy in the band. It's like, hey guys, who wants to do this? Hey, got an interview. Hey, hey guys. Hey, I know you have day jobs, but hey, what's up? Like, hey. I do these interviews. And now, yeah. Now there's like a, there's a handful of them. And for me, I'm like, I'll do every last one. Like, yeah. this is just fucking fun. To me. Yeah, man. Um, this is great. Like, it's cool to, like, I'm just as interested in hearing other people's stories. Like, I, I think we're, 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 like, I can look in a mirror and be like, yeah, it's a pretty boring dude. But like, Trigger Happy, I saw Trigger Happy play with Good Riddance. I don't know if you were in the band then. Yeah, no. It was a basement. It wasn't a very, like, yeah. monumental show for people that weren't me but i awesome. did sound for good riddance so like early 95 95s and then like 2001 i toured with them all over north america in 2001 with good riddance i've known chuck and russ and sean and lou, lou yeah a long was that time with, was that 2001 tour with killer idols it was with strike anywhere and oh, okay. grade and grade um oh, wow. okay. that's what we call the no love tour i think nobody nobody cared about good riddance or any of that tour like we we did we oh. pull into this place in florida and the guy's like has no pa system it's just a couple of speakers and i'm like well where's the pa he goes oh, i only bring the real pa for international touring acts and chuck's like yeah like us right <laughs> he's like yeah that got a little heated i'm like well can you at least get some monitors like can you get something oh, yeah 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 i've known chuck and chuck and, and all those guys a long time and uh yeah, Chuck was actually a guest number two on this show. That's awesome. Like They're another one, ago. man. They're another one where, like, I think that last record they put out is—it's amazing. Probably they're like it's peace in our time, right? Think, peace in our time. Uh, no, that was uh, one. thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think thoughts and prayers is my second favorite record they put out. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, it's just and it's you know it's is that a backhanded compliment? I guess we'd have to ask. But for me, it's like. The fact that it's, you know, that record came out in, what, 2019, I think? Yeah. And it just, it's still just so fucking strong. Like, anybody that I, I'm talking to, if, if older, you know, older punk heads or people that were into that stuff in the mid-90s or early 2000s, I'm like, you got to trust me. You mm-hmm. just got to listen to this record. Just yeah. 
I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but you really just got to listen to it. Even if you haven't listened to them or followed what these bands are up to, it's like you're going to find this record valuable. Yeah. And now all these bands have found the Blasting Room and, and Livermore and all that. Like they're just all these records just come out like, how does that, yeah, how is that possible? You know what I mean? Like just the sound. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's also me. Maybe it's not the band. Maybe yeah. the band was, maybe every record they've done in between has been just as good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's not to take anything away from the bands and, and no, no, it's their, true. Their creative output. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Maybe it was just I was the one who was willing to hear what they had to say this time around. Well, you know, it's funny uh, you say that because you sometimes you grow into it, right? Like I, for instance, I heard there was a Beck record that came out like five years ago, and I'm like, I would never really like Beck. And I hear this record, and I'm like, oh my god, this record's amazing. It's so musical. It's so totally. good. It's so great. But me, 10 years ago, or 15 or 20 years ago, be like, nah, pass, hard pass. But it was like, you listen to it, and it's like, I can ride a bike to it, I can walk, I can sleep, I can do anything I want. This record is so morning face. It's like the fucking greatest record ever. And right. I would never have gotten into this record. At, it had to hit at this right time. That's, that's you know. Right, right. And I think, like, for me, I mean, I think the two bands that I think of with that same experience, one of them, I hate to admit it publicly, but one of those bands for me was Fugazi. Yeah. Because when Fugazi was touring around, you know, all those eras, you know, in the, the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s, like, I was just so entrenched and like, it needed to be fast. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was creative. I thought it was unique. I could listen to it. I, I liked it. But I didn't understand why they were so fucking impressive and so important until after they broke up yeah you know what i mean where you're just like the 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 intangible aspects of that band when it's like you know i'm just like this little shithead hardcore kid and i'm just like it's not minor threat it's not embraced rah, 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 rah. Yeah. like what the fuck do i know yeah. but at the time like i mean i can't think of i, I had the opportunity to see they played first avenue all the time yep. and then they'd occasionally they played st cloud and they played eau claire like they played all these short drives from around here <laughs> and i just too much of an idiot i just was like man eh, it's a tuesday or whatever, yeah. whatever the I had, you know, I have homework to do, or whatever the dumb excuse was. Yeah, I, uh, I will regret that forever. <laughs> I will, yeah, I will regret not seeing Fugazi for the rest of my life. Yeah, and you know, my wife still gives me shit about it. Like, I, if, if Fugazi comes on to this day, she'll still give me a hard time about that. <laughs> and I'm like, but you got to understand, like, I wasn't bad mouthing them. I just liked them. Yeah, I love it. You know, yeah, yeah it wasn't. It too much yeah there was too know. much to get into I, I found that about a few other things like there's too much catalog to really sort of drill into that was actually it's funny you say that because that was me with elvis costello like i love elvis costello but i like elvis costello from like the 70s into the 80s anything from the yeah. 80s and then i sort of tune out until like the 90s so and this new record he put out i just heard it it's i forget what it's called but it is amazing it's so good again and, and he doesn't he doesn't play with time signatures. Like he just sort of does his thing. And it's like, you should really, I forget what it's called, but check it out. It's the new Elvis Costello. It came out last year, but it's the new one. It's like, it's amazing. It's angry man rock that he did, but it's like in his own way, you know, but it's, there's not a lot of records that hit me like that, but you know, like armed forces, my aim is true. Those are two great records, but I took me a long time to really appreciate it you know what i mean i was well into my 30s yeah. by the time i sort of rediscovered elvis costello but um the same thing you know what i mean like we we all sort of we move into it and then it's like oh now there's a place for it and now we can put it into our you know 
catalog of shit we like, you know? Yeah. So I think that's also, it's also important to keep in mind, like if, if you're doing a band yourself or you're doing another band or like when I'm doing this band, it's like, I was the idiot that didn't feel compelled to go see Fugazi play. So like, there's a whole world, there's a whole world of people like me that might be out there, but then there's a whole world of people that connect. To it. Yeah. It's okay. So I missed, like, I missed Nirvana at the opera house, which would have been 400 people. Yeah, with I mean, the Melvins opening for the Melvins, I missed that. So, <laughs> you know, I missed a lot of. I, mean, I, I, got, I missed more shows than I saw. I think in, in the, the, those yeah. days. Yeah, I mean, it's then there's the times where it's like I was trying to find shows and I couldn't find them. And there was no Google Maps, so who knows? Yeah, but. I missed Caius at the Rivoli. I've missed like oh, I missed oh, so many great shows. I I can't even. Uh, we're not going to talk about. It. But yeah, anyways, I know, I don't, it's not. No one wants to hear about the shows you did. The show we didn't see. It was. <laughs> it would have been amazing. Would have. <laughs> Everyone I know that was there said it was incredible. They said it was the best show they've ever seen, and they wonder why I wasn't there. And I said, "Well, you know what? Love Boat was on. That's why. I'm sorry." Or it's like I met, I met. Oh, this will be my last one, and then well, I swear to God, we're done. But the uh, there was a, a, a very famous sick of it all show. I think it was H2O and Quicksand. I think opened. Um, and when I was at the my old job, when I was at the label, I was working with H2O, and we were talking about Minneapolis. And something came up and Toby was like, hey, were you at that H2O show at First Avenue where all the ambulances were lined up outside? And I was like, no, that was actually like I had, I had a basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like a B-squad basketball player and like I couldn't go. But like that show was like infamous for people because it was just there was ambulances lined up on both sides of First Avenue. And anybody who was there will tell you just how crazy that show was yeah but uh if you weren't there like it's it's the show now where it's you know there's all, every town has that show but it's like yep there was eight thousand people at that show yep there's if a you listen to people tell the stories there's a toronto store where the police the police played the horseshoe no was it horseshoe or Combo? and uh there was only like eight people at that show when the police yeah. first time they ever played in toronto but when people tell the story, there would have been 4,000 people that had seen right. it, you know. But uh, I did get to see Jimmy Eat World at this little tiny club called the Shanghai with Grade in the Promise Ring. So, I mean, that I do have a few, like, glory flags to fly, you know, in yeah, the face it, it of punk. Is, it is funny, though, how, how you get older, where it's like, I have friends who saw Black Flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had friends who saw Nirvana play in tiny venues. You know, there's everybody's got those stories or saw, you know, Youth of Today or whoever, you know, Gorilla Biscuits and all these bands kind of coming up. But, um, you know, as ages and, and eras kind of pass through, like the fact that I saw AFI and Atmosphere play to eight people, like that wasn't impressive in 1997, you know, a year later, I saw it in 96, but now that's pretty impressive to people where it's like AFI and Atmosphere played to like eight people. Yeah. Um, like there was, there was nobody there. And, uh, you know, saw Sam I am and blink 182 was opening for Sam I am when clumsy came out and just like there's some of these funny moments where you're just going to shows yeah you know? and I saw Jimmy world play a small place and yeah you know they played a basement the year before that Texas is the reason played a basement uh, you know, all that these band. Yeah. all these bands were playing because that was just the world that we were in and now you look back on it and it's sort of you know it's sort of that infamous thing where you know there was 20 people at the show then and now those same bands playing there's three thousand yeah but, no, I saw Sam I Am play the night before they were going to go open for Bad Religion at the Alma Combo, 
and there seemed like it was me and my buddy Al. That's we were the only two people there. It felt like, and right. uh, I love Sam. I am so much. Like I just love them. They played us a couple of years ago. They played at a place called the Hardlock, and um, yeah, it was just a good time to, was to see. I've had Serge on the podcast. It's uh, I, awesome. I, uh, I I love I love that band so much. But um, well, this was fun. We can talk more. We should talk about Canada more and more. Just, yeah, man, like, on your podcast. About the band. When we're I'm on your, oh, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> we well, you know, I'll put it all in. A, we played a song, and you know, like I said, the band's great, and you know, um, I know it's tough to get into Canada, especially now. But yeah. if you do, let us know, you know, and maybe we can try and hook you up with somewhere to stay and play and whatnot. And that'd be fun, man. I mean, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, we have friends in Toronto, we have friends in Winnipeg, we have friends in pretty much every city. Yeah, um, it would be fun to to find a kind of carve the time out, you know, as we can. Um, but that's what makes it fun. You know what I mean? That's what mm-hmm. makes the band fun is that like, it'll be, we'll do it as much as we can within the space that life permits us. And mm-hmm. that's okay. So. Yeah. What's Minneapolis to Toronto? It's like what? 20 hours. Something <laughs> driving. Yeah. Probably 18. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's 12 um, to Chicago. How long to Chicago from Minneapolis? Seven, six. Oh, if you drive. Feels a lot longer. <laughs> but that uh, Minneapolis to that Minneapolis to Chicago drive is is awful. Yeah, you go through Wisconsin. The yeah, Wisconsin yeah. State Patrol is always patrolling for speeding tickets. It yeah. just it's like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania are the two states that feel like they last forever. You know. Yeah. Well, Texas um, actually does. It's like eight hundred miles wide or something, isn't it? Yeah, but for some reason, and I, I and I know this is all mental, but I feel like uh, Wisconsin takes longer than Texas. <laughs> I know. I know every fact on planet Earth says so, but that's how I feel. And now that it feels that way. Tw- yeah. In 2021, my feelings are facts. Like, <laughs> so Wisconsin is a longer drive than driving across Texas. <laughs> you can't change my mind. Like, it's just what it is, you know? That's a good way to end um, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, man. We're full of geography. All right. And that was Mr. Carl Hensel of the band Desperate Acts. Go check out their new album on Spam Records. You'll see all the information in the description where you can go pick up their album and buy stuff support this band they are a great band and they're a band of people who are like-minded to my personal philosophy of music and i love that so i wholly by by i fully endorse this band for the man that doesn't really matter but the fact is is this band's a great band it's a band you love to see live and hopefully one day we'll get them up in canada and we will enjoy this band wow this is a long episode long episode and you know every week i do this podcast sometimes once every other week based on whatever and you know that was sort of it's been so many years of doing this podcast that you sort of have to get revved up to it and this is one of those episodes where it's like yeah okay this is why i do it i love talking to people about music laughing enjoying stuff minimal covid talk but enough to get you to get you through to sort of figure out what year this is and uh, I, I hope to keep doing it, man. I said I would do 300 episodes and reassess, and now I guess i got to go to 400. So that'll be in about a year and a half from now, and we'll talk about that. But please tell your friends, subscribe, rate, and review. I've noticed that um, there's a lot, there's some, a good solid basis of people that listen to this episode, and I appreciate that. But this podcast needs your help to let people know about the episode, about, about the show, and, uh, you know, tell your friends. Your friends playing a band, they can put a record out. Let me know. Get in touch with me. Appalog.ca slash contact. 
and we will uh, you know talk and so there's no real you know there's no there's no boundary of people to talk to because we all are going through the kind of same thing with being musicians we we make music we want people to listen to it we want people to listen to the shows that talk about the band oh boy my brain is. anyways um yeah and to all who who donated to my ride to conquer cancer I just finished this weekend that's probably why I'm babbling on right now but thank you so much for donating and money and helping out for uh, a cause that's uh, you know got more roots than COVID sorry so anyways next week we'll see you next week okay I promise I'll be back next week I promise okay